0: This is Metal Mike, and if you've been listening to the '80s glam metal cast for a while, you know I'm a huge Kiss fan. Well, in this episode, I'm in my glory because I get to talk to their former legendary guitarist Bruce Kulick. We talk Asylum, Alive 3, the best Alive in my opinion, Carnival of Souls, and all the cool stuff that he's been up to lately. Now, stay tuned for after the interview where I reveal my stage ideas and set list for a Carnival of Souls tour. You gotta check it out. Well, Bruce, welcome to the '80s glam metal cast. How are you, my friend? Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, no problem. It's a pleasure because Kiss is my all-time favorite band, and it's uh, just an honor to be speaking with you. Awesome. So, hey, man, I know um, COVID nineteen is sidelining a lot of live gigs, but man, you've been keeping busy. You've been doing all kinds of cool performances online with your wife, with Jericho uh, Q and As. That's been awesome.
1: Well, thanks. Uh, it's funny, my, uh, my my lawyer manager made a joke earlier when we were chatting, and he goes like, because um, I asked him, I said, did you see that one with Lisa? And, you know, it was have, and we covered a blackjack song from my Michael Bolton days. I said, what would you think of that? And he goes like, yeah, I see it. You should be saving it all for a DVD. Why are you giving it away? <laughs> <laughs> and then my reaction, well, you know, he's a manager, so my reaction was like, uh, well, I go out of my mind any other way. You know, I have to stay... I do look at everything I'm doing during the pandemic as 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 something that could, will be very useful when when life is back to normal, too, uh, because I do love performing with my wife, for example. So now instead of like convincing, let's say, a promoter, if there was a, um, a possible run of dates and ski lodges on the East Coast or in another country, you know, that there's, there's, a, there's stuff to share, you know, to show to show us, you know, what I mean and and you know learning how to record in my home as opposed to running off the studios and everything uh, became a necessity and I'm enjoying it and it's a new I call them it's all like learning curve new tricks that I'm accomplishing um, even how to video you tape yourself properly and to, and to edit it possibly and fool around with it um, that's all a challenge but it's something that I've been uh, jumping into that is all um, things that were not as easy to get done when you're traveling every weekend, because my grand funk gig was just about every weekend, I'd be traveling for two three days, you know, so it, it it made a lot of the things that I've been concentrating on that I've been able to share on social media, it, it, it didn't make that that easy to be able to do it to that extent, at least, so. And a silver lining of the pandemic is if there wasn't a pandemic, uh, You know, Chris Jericho wouldn't have bothered with a project like that called Quarantine and Cover and Kiss songs. I think you understand what I mean. Yeah. So it's a positive that um, lots of people are reaching out to different people and doing new things, you know. Obviously, um, not having that opportunity to play live like what's typical in the industry is... uh, sorely missed by the majority of uh, the world, sure. not only uh, America. But it's just something that has to be uh, um, curbed for now and, and in the future we'll see when it is right. I know of some people that are doing some things and um, it's encouraging if it's done right, but uh, since I'm not uh, you know, really like a participant to know how did it go, uh, I, there's no way I can comment on it. But we do know that gathering which is what concerts are all about is not a great idea right now um so i think i think we need to know more and moving forward and figuring that out but the way we share the way everyone's been communicating and learning and doing things online and uh all of that uh, you know that that's very safe and and it can be very entertaining let's let's be honest
0: yeah i think it's uh I think it's been great for the fans i know they've really enjoyed it and uh i've enjoyed you know stuff you've been doing and a lot of other people have done some wild things there's a lot of cool parodies there's there's all kinds of crazy stuff so it's really brought out creativity for sure
1: yes and and certainly uh we need to stay in the uh enjoyable part of the spectrum because there is so much division and 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 stress and you know politics have never been worse and and all of that um thank god there's some balance of uh people being creative you know i think that's really important
0: yeah me too well hey man i gotta tell you the first kiss album i ever bought was asylum and that's the first kiss album uh that you're the official guitarist so what do you think of asylum looking back on it
1: you know um first of all even though it was like my first official album with the band um it's interesting to note that you know, Kiss was always evolving and changing. Animalized was different from Lick It Up and Lick It Up was obviously different from The Elder and so on and so forth. And and during my era, each album had its own thing. And in looking back at Asylum, I thought it had a great balance of, um, you know, some very exciting rock songs. And then at the same time, some really, you know, uh, great melodic rock stuff too, like A Tears Are Falling. The other, the other, you know, Who Wants To Be Lonely. These, these are um, songs I love playing, you know, that, that 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 I just feel really defined. And then, of course, there's Love's A Deadly Weapon. You know, so then there's an aggressive, crazy song like that one, you know. Um, it's funny, like, that one's gonna be next for uh, Quarantine, and then they're looking at uh, I'll Hell To Hold You, but that was crazy nice, correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And that one I may be guessing on. I've, uh, I've, I've volunteered to take a stab at it when they're ready. Um, but it's ironic you bring up a sound, like after we're done with the call today, there's an artist in, in Sweden who does terrific reggae kiss stuff. And and I was always really impressed. I, I don't know if they've... I can't remember now if they put out an entire record like that or just specific songs in the past, but they they kind of tempted me with like uh, what do you think you think you can add some guitars to (laughs) to this song you know and uh, I was fooling around with it on Monday and the guy loved the direction so I'm actually gonna plug into that home studio that I I mentioned earlier and and do a pretty novel approach shall I call it because it won't sound exactly in any way like Tears of Falling but it is Tears of Falling you know so in other words I got to play and be a little creative you know, and, and a tip of the hat to a great song that that works in any genre, to be honest with you. And then having me, you know, be creative and play lead guitar, but don't play it exactly like uh, Asylum or Bruce. you know. So, you know, there's going to be a big anniversary coming up later on this year, I believe, for Asylum Matches. And um, I believe, you know, it probably came out sometime in '85. So it'll probably be one of those, you know, thirty-five year things or
0: something like that. Oh, that's awesome! You know, one thing that I th- I noticed looking back on that album uh, when I listened to it today, I feel like you know, Animalize is a little metallic, and so is Lick It Up. I feel like some of the old Kiss is infused in there. And one thing that kind of stuck out to me was like a song like. Um, From Love Gun tomorrow and tonight, almost is very similar to Uh All Night. The verses are kind of similar, and I feel like there's some of that old Kiss vibe infused in Asylum. Do you kind of hear that too, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly, and I I see that across the whole spectrum of the discography of the band. But but it's interesting how you connected a few of those, and I hadn't actually thought of that. But you know, look, you got you got a common thread of Gene and Paul on every record, obviously, and Paul. Paul was really mostly in charge in the asylum. Gene was still looking at acting and stuff, and I know there's been a lot of press about that, but it it was kind of true, although by the time we got into the studio, they were bouncing me back and forth between the two of them, and I I didn't have a day off. I think I worked uh, like three weeks straight. You know, Gene doesn't believe in vacations, and, you know, Paul would like the weekend off, so... I never got a break, but look here. There I am at Electric Lady Studios, which is Jimi Hendrix's place. You know, which was a childhood dream for me to have anything to do with Electric Lady, and there I am. You know, parked there for uh, probably over five weeks. Maybe we were recording there. It was so exciting. So I'm, I'm still really proud of it. It's just real interesting how, how um, that album actually means a lot to a lot of people. Really does.
0: Yeah, it does. Now, now you talked about kind of working with both these guys. You you've got a lot of co-writes with each of them. Did you you gel better with one or the other in a songwriting uh, situation?
1: It was really ironic what a complicated thing it was to navigate because um, it, it, they both like different things, but you needed to use your instinct to say, "I'd rather save this." song, idea, riff, or chord progression for Gene, because I think it's more him. And so you try to do that, and hopefully Gene will uh, embrace it and, and, and and you know, really work on it. Um, Paul was very particular with what he liked, so I, I was even more careful with what I brought to him. And ironically enough, it seemed like if I already played for Gene, and he knew that, for some reason, that Paul would probably not be as kind to it, you <laughs> see what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 you know, I guess, in a, there was a bit of a territorial kind of thing about it, um, so, yeah, like I said, there was a lot to navigate, but it's all a guessing game anyway, and, and co-writing with people, especially if they're super successful, talented writers like Gene and Paul, who have written by themselves and have written with other co-writers, how to make that work is such a unique dynamic that I just can't even, I can't even explain, you know, like like if someone called me up and said like, hey, I'm gonna write with Paul, give me some tips, you know, it's like, you know, be like, use your instinct is about the, the simplest way I put it, right? But at the time again because i'm dealing with a creation of mine or multiple you know ideas the opportunity of having a co-write on the kiss record which meant career importance it meant a financial reward you can understand all that sure and and the pressure of that and then if you you know kind of follow if your instincts wrong and you went down the wrong you know, direction with a great idea, it it might get left behind or just completely, you know, stomped on, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was fun when KISS was over for me, for me to look at, all right, I'm gonna do a solo record, which became uh, Audio Dog, which I believe came out in 2001. And I started working on it, you know, like after Union was done, Mm -hmm. uh, the band that I had with John Karabi. And I remember thinking, well, I'm gonna to go to my closet, meaning your box of cassettes, you know, to see what, through the years, that I thought was a good idea that just didn't take off, you know, with both Gene and Paul. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe four or five of those songs really became something that was, that was, I thought, quite special for audio Dog. So, you know, even a good idea if it doesn't, you know, happen for that co-life for that situation you should never let it go you should always kind of remember that you have this song you know and you can always develop it later down the road
0: that's funny uh saying that makes me think of um eric carr's rockology Uh, and because i feel like you know maybe he had songs that didn't get used but uh i was so glad that you were able to kind of put that project together and get those songs out there because there's some killer songs that he had in his arsenal for sure
1: yeah, it was always unfortunate when, um, you know, if Eric had a great ballad or something, and then we already had the ballad from from Paul, and then, well, now we can't use Eric. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So we definitely had, he had to deal with that, too. Although, you know, he had some success writing with them. I mean, he had uh, an interesting success. I'm not even sure if everybody was aware. But by working with Gene, and then Gene meeting uh, Brian Adams, all of a sudden, Brian Adams invalid with, like, I think, War Machine or something like that, mm-hmm. which is crazy because it's such a cool <laughs> metal song in a way. But then Eric suddenly writes something with Brian Adams that was on one of his really big you know albums, yep. which is really interesting. So, um, yeah, I, 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 Eric had his trials and tribulations, but certainly once um, I had the permission from the family to look at... What do you have? Could we put out, you know, a product? And and Rockology came out on a a CD, and then not that long ago on a vinyl, and I'm actually talking to some people about the opportunity to offer it in a uh, picture disc as well. Oh, cool. So, uh, because, you know, celebrating Eric's uh, life and his uh, contribution to Kiss is always um, important, and I think, uh, you know, he's he's quite loved because of... uh, all the talent and all the contributions he made through the years, but that's exactly what rockology was. Anything left over, and then of course the rockhead songs that I worked real hard. None of those <coughs> meant for Kiss, but they were meant for a cartoon rock band. You know, so why not include them?
0: Yeah, one song that just blows me away, and I love it, is Eyes of Love. I can't believe that didn't make a Kiss record. That's it's such a cool tune.
1: Yeah, that was probably. Pitched and it should have been, but at least I have a really good demo of it that that was used on the on the record. Absolutely, Eric had a great voice. Too. Yeah, he did. He, he really he really could sing. You know, he played some bass. He even played some bass on some Kiss songs, supposedly. And um, he was very creative. Yeah, I, I you know in in a lot of the bands, you'd be surprised that sometimes a guy that's only you only known for his role on one instrument, but actually he's, you know, has much more to offer, but he's in a band with some super talents that kind of are, you know, in the forefront. So you don't get to see that. Who would think Dave Grohl would come out of Nirvana, and become the star that he is? Oh, yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, that, that's, that's always what's interesting. But any any band that has like, that guy who even if he's just whatever, from the keyboard player bassist, drummer, or whatever, And then he's actually just this like really, really talented artist that could be a star in his own right. When it happens, you know, it kind of makes sense down the line, but for what he was doing, that's what he was doing. He was a, a team player and all bands need that, you know,
0: for sure, I want to say in May it was the anniversary uh, of a live three, and a lot of times on Twitter and Facebook, you know, everybody's talking about these albums. And I, I went out there and I said, "Hey, I, I think this is the best uh, Kiss alive." And you know, a lot of that meets with a lot of controversy, Bruce. What do you think of that?
1: Well, look, um, you got to remember that the original Kiss, really the first Alive record or live record, was what what really solidified them as a major artist. Okay, as an actual big stars, you know, because there was something about those live presentations of those songs that was more, uh, I think they were in a sense, it, it, it represented a, a much grander version of Kiss than the studio recordings. Yeah. So it meant it means a lot to the fans that grew up in the you know, embraced Makeup Kiss. And Alive 2, I thought they just solidified and carried on from there. I never will forget when I first saw the cover, uh, I thought the Gene picture was just Priceless. Oh, yeah. I mean? it was just like Godzilla meets a bass player. You know what <laughs> I mean? You know? And I remember when I got obviously the opportunity to be in the band and I could chat with someone like Gene casually, I remember telling him, and they said, Oh, they didn't want to use this picture. They did not want to go with this. I insisted. I said, You were one million percent right. <laughs> he was. To, you know, because, and, and, and you know, you got to remember I was looking at Kiss through his different eyes. I was not. You know, to me, bands that used um, an imagery thing—even David Bowie's uh, *Aladdin Insane album cover—I was just like, "Huh? What's this?" You know what I mean? Uh, I, I never quite could. Could. Uh, I? You know, sometimes I would think I would take the music as seriously. You know right. what I mean? Which is wrong. But um, but you know, by the time I, I was aware of *Alive* too, I was quite familiar with the band, and I, and I was. I had a different attitude about them than just, you know, a band that was wearing makeup, okay? Because uh, I uh, certainly uh, finally got it, you know? But anyway, um, Alive 3, uh, you know, m- quite a bit of the record is, is vintage songs, so you're, you're a diehard makeup fan is gonna never look at, let's say, uh, a love gun as interesting as the original, let's say, you know, And uh, but, but I will admit that There are a lot of big, big supporters of Alive 3 because that version of the band with Eric Singer and myself, um, like the MTV Unplugged that had a real special uh, chemistry between us um, and and playing quality, Um, it does mean a lot to them. I will also add that I do think that Alive 3 is probably the most... uh, actually organic uh, one of the three records, you know. Of course, I wasn't there for one and two, but I heard stories about a lot of, you know, things being redone. And I'm not going to in any way represent that a live three was, was, um, you know, a a, a virgin recording from the tapes and that's it. And and things weren't done. I know we had challenges with the, um, some of the crowd things weren't recorded the way we needed them. Um, there were, I, I know I touched up one thing and there might have been an occasional thing that Paul did, but it wasn't like massive work redone, you know what I mean, which is a good uh, a good sign, you know, uh, there were three gigs that we chose the record from the majority of it being actually I believe Indianapolis but there was a Cleveland, Indy and uh, maybe a Detroit show I'm not positive I should actually compare the cassettes I have I actually have some of those board tapes because i remember that we all got a chance to like hear it, listen to like if you like you know domino that night you know make a note you know mm-hmm. and that kind of thing so but uh, it was a you know we were really firing on all uh, uh, you know cylinders but the oddest part of a live three is the fact that we do this amazing soundtrack version of i was made for loving you but never played it in front of a crowd i don't know if you knew that no yeah you won't find it on the set list so but we knew the song would be important, right? And it doesn't sound any different than anything else on the record, does it? No. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I actually think, I'm trying to remember now, if some of the crowd was like a heart concert or something. You <laughs> know, <like laughs> when you're in the studio, you know, people have libraries of shit and things are stored there. And it was just like, what else you got? We need a better crowd sound here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and it could have been like a live gig from a band like Hard or whatever it was. It worked. I, I really think it was it was uh, a great uh, you know celebration of the Revenge Tour uh, yeah. and where the band was at. And um, I remember I was a little hurt when I know there was a couple of comments from Gene and Paul uh, acknowledging w- what you started out with as the question: How could a live three be? Uh, how could it even compete with those other ones? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I feel, for fans of my era and the and the non-makeup years, I feel it, it does. You know what I mean? And I used to love, if I was traveling and I was going to get a pickup band in a country because I couldn't really deal with in the amount of time I had to travel and all the expenses to take a band with me, it would be like, all right, we're going to do mostly in a live three show. Here right. are the songs to learn. And that was always a great blueprint for a very successful gig, for a set list because it had a combination of fantastic songs from the original makeup band to representing my era. So it's always a, a good place to start for a set list for sure.
0: Um, let's just skip to Carnival of Souls real quick. I'm sure you've talked about this a million times, but how do you think this album would have went over if it had a proper release? I know I wish it had a proper release. I'm probably you probably feel the same way.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I obviously i was just happy it was going to come out at all because let's face it um unplugged which is going to have an anniversary very soon which i'm going to celebrate with a really nice uh video thing for but honestly um i was just glad it came out you know what i mean but it's very hard to imagine kiss it it was like I, i remember this one guitar player magazine one time imagine if Jimi hendrix never died right, <laughs> right. and it, it went from 70 from when he died to like what was next for him you know then what was next for him and now he was and i think this magazine probably came out in the 90s or something up until like that and it was really well done whoever creatively came up with the concept he really delivered something that was quite plausible for a, a superstar genius guitarist like that carrying on his career. Yeah. And, and and I don't even have like a fantasy as to because it was so obvious the direction of Kiss veering off into kind of like Star Wars coming back again. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that it was just pop culture time to put the guys in makeup with nothing new. It, they didn't need anything new. No, nope. The interest was there. The desire to see them and for them Meaning them, meaning the the fans to experience them on stage, in all that glory. In fact, in more modern glory, because now the technology in '96 is going to be different. Oh right? yeah, yep. From the last time that they were able to tour, uh, so you know it was a big deal, and that's why. Like I can't even imagine what a Carnival of Souls tour could have been, or what it would have been next for us. I, I just can't. Maybe I should reach out to that guy who wrote the Jimmy <laughs> <laughs> We want to
0: see the tour. We want
1: to see what the videos would yeah. have been like. What's the next record? Is it a throwback <laughs> to the more, you know, early Kiss? You know, whatever. I don't know. So,
0: as much as it sucked, obviously, to be out of Kiss, do you think that, obviously, the reunion was an essential move for the band to, you know, to really to just have the status that they have today?
1: It, it, it was the right time. Um, I remember going to see them in the L.A. Forum in, LA, in, in Los Angeles and uh, anyone who saw me, you know, of course I had VIP seats and the whole deal, but you still, you're going through the crowd to a certain extent and everyone saw me shouting, hey Bruce, we'll see you next year. <laughs> you know, because Kiss kind of just put it out there, you know, wisely so that, hey, we're going to do this for a year, let's see what happens, right, you know what I mean? Right, And, and I kind of knew it was over because it would be so successful and makeup being you know so unique that if they could do the kind of numbers that they were proving uh, to continually do in '96 in and '97, you know, there's no turning back. You know, basically, so um, you know, I accepted that it's business. It's um, there's, there's a there's a genuine love for my era that I find has kind of really grown a lot in the past years, but I I do think the way KISS tours now and how they look um, and how they can use technology with those massive shows with these stages is probably the best model for the band and and the success surely supports that. You know, and Eric and Tommy do an amazing job, you know, in their roles as those makeup characters you know, when I know some fans give them, you know, some criticism for that, I don't necessarily, I can understand why they might feel that way, but those guys really do an incredible job yep. and they're, they're, they're very talented at it. Um, so for me, the big picture is more that they they do continue moving forward, the brand called Kiss, in such an incredibly successful manner, that it always uh, reflects positively Towards me as well because all those new fans that jump in, they're always you know what's um <clears throat> you know oh wow they didn't wear makeup oh this is interesting right you check yeah. this out yep what's this what's that and now in the age of the internet and YouTube and everybody sharing stuff and all the streaming ways you can like listen to anything all of a sudden there's there's uh, I mean I meet teenagers that are like freaked out know everything about me and my years and kids it's just, it's totally mind boggling, you know, so it's a good thing, you know. Um, and then you know, I, I do think whenever that last gig is or whatever, they'll, they'll celebrate, uh, you know, by by having uh, my participation, but right now everything is like so up and limbo yeah. when they can restart even, even though it's looking like next summer, and let's hope that works. Um, but certainly, Kiss has always been in the forefront and always been successful and, and that doesn't hurt me That that's still a very positive thing in my life definitely
0: well hey Bruce I appreciate your time what do you want to say to your fans in closing
1: well I certainly um, I, I do really appreciate everybody reaching out um, on social media and, and appreciating the uh, things I've been sharing regardless of what my manager might say you know? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, Everything that's kind of like a video type thing you can find on the YouTube channel. So subscribe there. Hit the bell. That's a new thing Lisa learned. you got to tell them to click on the bell because <laughs> you see she's watching someone's series lately and they get a notification. You know?
0: um,
1: and my website is, is kind of new now, com. It's only a couple years old, and I'm always putting good content up there as well. There's a lot of exciting things coming down the line more performances. I I am trying to develop some interesting items that I know a fan would love to have on display in their home Kiss Museum, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe another mini guitar, and another ESP guitar runner, those multi-swirl, things like that. Uh, And and I am working hard on um, trying to do uh, at least the first one song from uh, the guys that I do the cruise with. You know the the guys I affectionately call the mob, uh, members of Bruce's band, <laughs> and we're going to work up a, a song um, this summer. I'd like to see it uh, come out in the fall and more stuff. Just I'm just going to keep you know moving forward with the creative stuff, and uh, uh, you know I certainly also want to just let everybody know to be be patient with all this and be kind to everybody because it's it's been very stressful for the entire world you know and i just hope everybody can uh you know understand that we're all going through it you know what i mean and and, and we'll get through it eventually you know but uh hopefully uh soothing good music and rocking and music and everything oh and, and don't forget uh please i'm always busy with these cameos which are great ways to give shout outs to people i actually just completed two right before uh, our interview here and then I, I offer those guitar lessons or just those video chats with people through meethook which is really a lot of fun. Um, so look for all that and all that's, uh, you know, you can find out how you can do all those kind of things from my website and everything. So, and thank you for your time. And I'm glad that... Uh, You know, you're still out there spreading the good word,
0: right? You got it, man. Well, hey, I really really appreciate it, Bruce. All right, well, you be well, okay? You too, Bruce. Okay, all right, bye-bye. Bye now. Wow, that was an amazing interview with Bruce. What a cool guy. Well, you heard Bruce. He mentioned he'd love it if somebody put together a Carnival of Souls tour, kind of what if. Well, hey, I'm the perfect guy for that job. So here we go. Here's my plan for the stage. Now, they've had the Sphinx. They had lady liberty and i say if it ain't broke don't fix it let's put the guy with the flaming head in the back the one that was supposed to be on the cover of carnival of souls he can have glowing eyes he can have flames shooting out of his head rockets shooting out of his head uh, it would be awesome i'm also envisioning some screens on each side of the stage that can show some uh, crazy footage from time to time so the set list I'm using some of my own ideas and some elements from their 1995 Japan shows as a reference. So, I'm thinking, you know what? Let's start off with Unholy. Uh, On the screens, we'll put some cool clips from the video. All that crazy footage of little kids doing the Ring Around the Rosie. All that weird footage. We'll put that on the screens. Uh, Next, we'll do King of the Nighttime World. Then we'll do one off Carnival of Souls. Master and Slave. She... I want you, calling Dr. Love, and then hate. So the next thought was that would be a segment of the of the show, and then they'd break things down and kind of maybe condense and, and play in the front of the stage, and they do like an unplug thing. Uh, unplug was a big hit. Why not? And I also I saw Motley Crue do something like this on their 1994 tour. So I thought this would work perfect. So you figure you'll do... Um, We'll do Sure know Something, Unplugged, War Without Heroes, I Still Love You, and Domino. And what we'll do is we'll have a little bit of a break. That'll all get cleared out, and then I'll be back to the show. I figure start it back up, hard and heavy with War Machine. And we'll have a big display. Uh, we can, before the song starts, we can have the stage look all blue and have that guy's eyes glow. A little uh, throwback to Creatures of the Night. And then we can do tons of pyro, violent war clips on the screens i think this could be a big uh you know segment of the show big big turning point uh then we'll do make it love lick it up we'll do the jungle Hey, gotta do the jungle everybody loves the jungle Uh, we'll do love gun and then black diamond and that'll kind of be the end of the show and of course it never is over right you gotta do an encore so with the encore we'll do i love it loud detroit rock city and rock and roll all night so, that's my idea for Setlist. I put this out on Twitter as well, and some people had some really cool ideas. I'll try to paste those uh, in the, the link of this video so you can look uh, at what some other people's ideas were. Uh, so, let me know what you think. Is that a cool idea for Carnival of Souls? I really wish it would have had a proper tour and a proper release. A lot of people say the Elder, they'd love to see the Elder have a proper uh, tour. But sometimes these things just don't happen, right? So, I hope you enjoyed this. It was a lot of fun. Talk to you next time. Rock on.